welcome to A Passion to Serve. My name is Don Kadicki and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm a big fan of storytelling and during the podcast we'll be sharing real human stories about migrant and seasonal farm workers and the work that's being done on their behalf. For example, do you know about the contributions of migrant and seasonal farm workers to the United States economy and the challenges these farm workers face on a daily basis? What about services for farm worker youth in order to lead them on the path towards self-discovery and self-sufficiency? And what about lessons learned by leaders who have dedicated their lives to serving others through a variety of programs? These stories and so much more will be part of A Passion to Serve. I hope you decide to join us on this path of discovery. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of A Passion to Serve. The Association of Farmworker Opportunity Programs, or AFOP, has begun producing Facebook Live events as part of their Children in the Fields campaign. These conversations focus on the impact of the coronavirus or COVID-19 on farmworker families and the agricultural industry. During this episode, AFOP Programs Communication Coordinator Kendra Mosley speaks with myself and Sada Paredes of Ag Help about employment and training opportunities in the midst of the coronavirus. And I'm happy to see you all. Um, do write in the comments if we're having any audio issues. Last week we had several, so it's good to know about those sooner rather than later. Um, we have a few people who are on the chat ready to answer your questions. And also we'll be having a question and answer at the end. So feel free to write those in as you think of them. And also just let us know where you're joining us from. We have people from all over the country. Um, a few things to note before we get started. Uh, if you don't know already, AFOP is an association of 52 member organizations who are all working for uh, the good of farm workers and job training and other emergency services. We have one of those members on right now, as well as Ag Help's founder, Sadok, and I'll be introducing them in a moment. Um, I also want to let you know that we have a contest going on right now for all migrant and seasonal farm worker children between the ages of 10 and 18 years old. Um, that link is on the screen right now, afop.org slash CIF. And our contest is open right now starting April 1st, and it goes till July 15th. So please um, see the link and send us your entries. We have scholarships and um, a tablet as a prize for our winners. Um, also go to that webpage for uh, links to our previous live streams. We've been doing Lab Thursday now for a while. This is our fourth one on COVID-19. Um, and we also want to express appreciation for everyone who's participated in these live streams so far. Um, I think they've been a really helpful resource for everyone who uh, is being affected by this, which is everyone. Um, but we really want to bring attention to how it's affecting farm workers. Um, please plan to join us here every week on uh, CIF campaign at 12.30 Eastern Standard Time, and we will always be here with um, some more information for you. And if you want to get our announcements about this and other things related to farm workers, please write your email, um, send us your email to um, one, I'll, I'll just, you can put it either in our chat or you can send it to kmosley at afop.org. And I'll, I'll put that up there in a second. Um, so yeah, let's just, let's just get started. 
we're in week four of our uh, country's response to the coronavirus pandemic. <clears throat> Many people are sheltering in place. And there's some pretty eerie footage out there right now of major US cities that are just empty. Um, everyone is inside. Only those who are deemed essential are going to work. Um, we already knew farm workers were essential, um, but it seems like the world is waking up and realizing it. Um, even the Department of Homeland Security released a memo a couple weeks ago saying farm workers and other essential workers have a special responsibility to fulfill their work duties. Well, farm workers are the most responsible, hardworking people on the planet. Um, they've had to carry out their duties in the face of fear, of deportation, of getting injured, and now of getting sick from COVID-19 because they are not being protected. Um, so last week we had uh, some guests from uh, so Bruce Goldstein of Farm Worker Justice and Neza Shudakuli of Farm Worker Association of Florida uh, were on and Neza said something that caught our attention. Um, farm workers, they may be overemployed, but they are also underemployed. Um, some of them are getting laid off because uh, their particular workplaces are not considered essential. Um, they're doing farm work duties, but they may not be producing food uh, per se, so they may be laid off or having their hours cut. Um, so that's, well, while other farm workers are getting more hours and actually working overtime, but not getting paid overtime, of course. Um, so that's why we're bringing on two special guests today, um, Ag Helps founder, Sadok Paredes, and um, Telema Michigan director of NFJP, Don Kuknicki. Welcome to both of you. Thank you for Thank joining you. us. Um, Thank so you, glad to be here. Don Kiknicki is entering his 10th year as Telemann Corporation's Director of the National Farm Worker Jobs Program in Michigan. NFJP assists migrant and seasonal farm workers with emergency needs like food, shelter, and transportation, community referrals, job training, and employment services. And then we have Sadok who is a farm worker, uh, sorry, a former fa migrant farm worker who has co-founded Ag Help. And AgHelp is working to resolve the agricultural labor shortage. AgHelp also focuses on helping workers find jobs and resources nationally. Um, and that's why we have you all, you all on here today, just to help talk through how to keep farm workers employed, but also safe through this uh, COVID-19 crisis. Um, so I'll start off with Sadok. Can you tell us what you're seeing right now um, with farm workers just generally? Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. But uh, I think um, so. Right now, I th it, there's the situation is really fluid. So it's I think a lot of farm workers are um, unsure as to um, you know what are the best um, uh, really procedures, whether that's um, you know really following the CDC guidelines and and things like that, um, or actually trying to you know go um, and work normally and and use that essential worker um, kind of privilege as as, um, as a way to, to continue uh, life as normal. So, but I think there's a lot of uncertainty as to, um, you know, what to what to do when they um, are affected by this, whether that's a family member or themselves. Um, I, I just think there's a lot of uncertainty and um, not much clarity at this point. Um, Don, how about you? I know you both are based in Michigan. Um, so you might be seeing the same things, but what do you what do you see right now in Michigan? Okay, well, what 
we're really in the early stages of the harvest season. The the communication in terms of uh, agriculture is that things the growers are moving forward. They are wanting and requesting the workers to return to conduct their work. There's a lot of uh, Michigan uses a lot of H-2A workers, so that's also in the works. I think what we are hearing is what we hear pretty much everywhere right now, just the concern. The concern is if they are coming to Michigan, what types of resources and support are going to be available to them? Is it going to be different than what they're used to seeing? Um, so those are some different variables that take place. There's also the concern of uh, health and safety and their own personal well-being and the well-being of their family. Um, all of us are grasping and really looking at those kinds of issues and how can we most effectively address them. So we're really trying to communicate as much as we possibly can. I knew with that we were going to talk about this a little bit, and I, I checked in some of the other uh, industries that are operating right now. For example, our nurseries, that they seem to be operational and going full tilt at this point in time, and there's a lot of work that's taking place right now. Um, but I do think uh, what Sada has said is absolutely true. It's very fluid. And I feel that communication right now is critical, not just on a, a weekly or biweekly basis, but on a daily basis. We all need to stay connected and we need to make sure that we are informed with the most up-to-date information about what are we hearing, what are we seeing from both the grower perspective and from our farm workers. Absolutely. Thank you, Don. Um, I think... Uh, I'll ask both of you this question, but um, as for the shortage of workers, uh, is that something that you're seeing right now or that you, something that you anticipate seeing? Um, Sadok, you can start. Yeah, I mean, there's always been, even before the, the pandemic, there's always been a, a shortage. And um, right now we're still in the early stages and, and it's kind of, um, it's not affecting rural areas as much at this point but um, it definitely will um, increase the need for workers, um, especially as uh, you know, different things, uh, with specific um, work, farm worker populations, even with the, the H-2A program, when that, um, those visas were not being renewed, then they all, all of a sudden were renewed again, that did delay some of the arrival of some of the H-2A workers. So we're already seeing the effects in, um, in, on farm workers, but um, as more and more people, um, you know, begin to get sick or it affects um, rural areas. I think it'll come in waves, um, but it's it's still early on. And um, this, we know that the, um, the the virus will affect this population disproportionately just because there are a lot of healthcare disparities. Um, and we're already seeing that with other minority populations. So I think uh, going forward, this will have uh, more of an effect on this population, um, especially with, um, you know, regionally as different crops, uh, different seasons and different har harvests come um, in, in, into season. So I, I think it's, it's still really early, but um, the shortage will, will definitely be um, increased um, in different parts of the country. How about produce and the actual groceries that people are seeking, you know, on the shelves that are not always there? Do you do you think that will begin to correct itself or do you expect a shortage of produce since the demand has been so high? Uh, I think, go, go ahead, Don. Go ahead. I'll, you know, at this point, I'm not really sure um, how to answer that. I, I agree with Sadab's um, first um, statement that he said about having a shortage that we've always been short workers anyway. And even though um, 
last year, for example, Michigan was ranked seventh nationally in the utilization of H-2A workers. There still was an issue with not having a sufficient labor force for agriculture. And I think because of the pandemic um, that's taking place, it's really going to affect some of our early harvest and our early crops that are going on, like asparagus and blueberries and strawberries, that it's going to slow that process up that much more. So I think we really aren't going to know. And and the one thing that I'm curious about, too, is back in 2012 in Michigan, we had a, a terrible fog frost that pretty much destroyed between 90 to 95 percent of our apple harvest. And when that happened, it significantly changed the migrant stream. It changed the number of families that were returning to Michigan who was coming back. They found work elsewhere. And I'm I'm curious to see what the results are going to be from COVID-19 on the impact on the migrant stream moving forward as well. That's a, an interesting uh, thing to note uh, that yeah, the market stream has been affected by things before, and and this is um, kind of business as usual. Like migrant workers are often just thrown a, a new situation; they just have to adjust to. Um, but this is definitely on a, a broader, more national scale, yeah. and, a, and a, a more scary. If I could add to that, I think um, this is definitely. I mean, right now we're already kind of seeing some of the grocers not having things um, in stock. But um, I think as far as maintaining the need right now, we're, they're doing a decent job. But as going forward, as some of these larger operations, for instance, in California, who might provide, you know, double digit percentage of produce globally, um, a lot of their preparedness is going to be tested, um, whether that's mitigation or um, any reacting to, you know, what could happen to their workforce. So I think it's going to be interesting to see these large operations um, and, and how they're affected by this. Because um, if, for instance, um, one of the largest, you know, berry growers in the world um, has a, a significant outbreak, um, that could affect the global supply chain of that. But um, it, it's it's hard to say. And uh, I think that's definitely the these operations, especially the larger ones, will be um, will be tested as far as preparedness. Yeah, and you're already touching on on this question a little bit, like how how this is going to affect the industry overall. We're all kind of in a wait and see mode um, because the virus is spreading more slowly to rural areas, but you know it's just a matter of time, like you said. And I've even heard the other side of it too. I think there are some growers who are concerned about what is going to be the demand for their crops that they're harvesting too. Is there going to be a change? Is there going to be worry or concern about? Um, you know, you had Amy Liebman from the Migrant Clinicians Network on and Dr. Madero's, and they said at this point in time, we have no knowledge or understanding or belief that the COVID-19 can be passed through produce, but we don't know that for sure yet. So how that affects um, the consumer's buying interest and habits, we'll have to wait and see. Exactly. Um, so let's move into some possible solutions. You both are here um, representing organizations who can help get us through this. Um, so Sadat, starting with you, what is Ag Help? You're, uh, you founded it and it's a, a resource for farm workers. How can it benefit them, farm workers and actual farm owners too uh, during this time? Yeah, so um, Ag Help is, is a company I co-founded with, uh, with a couple of my brothers. And basically it is a website where um, workers can actually find jobs nationally and resources. So um, 
the the resources include things like education, whether that's migrant education or other higher learning opportunities, um, maybe faith faith based organizations, uh, career services, things like Telemon and other um, workforce development um, agencies across the nation, um, things like legal health. Um, any government or perhaps other regulatory um, agencies that help farm worker specific um, have farm work, farm worker specific resources. But um, I, so I, for us, I think this has always been, um, you know, a focus of us is for us is providing these resources that um, a lot of this population already utilizes and much of the time needs. And especially right now with the uncertainty and, and a lot of the, um, uh, you know, the effects being compounded on, on to this population, um, there's even more opportunity for help. Um, but one thing I, I do caution is um, because the the uh, pandemic has affected a lot of these, you know, publicly funded agencies, they're operating on lower capacities or, or perhaps changing, um, you know, how they interact with workers. So it's, uh, I really encourage workers to, to reach out to these organizations. Um, they can go to our site, go to the resources tab at the top and and um, just figure out um, who can best assist them. And um, I think Don might be able to shed some light on Michigan and how Telemon is, um, you know, how, how they're currently operating to kind of give people an idea of how um, they can interact with these agencies and what they're doing to, to still communicate and provide services for these workers. Yeah, and also anyone who's listening in, if you have um, knowledge of any agencies who are open, um, put that into the comments and also put put your questions in the comments. We'll get to those at the end and uh, specify if you want uh, Don or, or Sadok to, to talk, to speak to the question. So Don, do you have something to add? So with Telemont Corporation in Michigan, I'm the director for the National Farm Worker Jobs Program or the NFJP, and we provide employment and training services to the migrant seasonal farm worker population. We also can provide emergency assistance when people are in need of maybe food or gas or, or some help with, with rent, um, depending on what the, the situation calls for. We try to really meet the needs. And I really think something that we talked about prior to the start of our session, Kendra, that it's, it's communication, communication, communication. So it first starts with my staff that we're in a lot of communication with each other, making sure that we're all tuned in, that none of us are feeling isolated or too overwhelmed with what we're currently experiencing. And then we really try to venture outward. And I think my staff in their local areas where they are located at have done just a fantastic job of developing such a great reputation uh, through word of mouth about us being a vital community partner. And we have good connections within each local communities where we provide services to the farm worker population. I think something that really has benefited the state of Michigan a lot is something that's called the Interagency Migrant Services Committee. This is a group of director level administrators that come together once a month. These are people who work directly and on behalf of the farm worker population. So we're talking about policy, we're talking about COVID-19, we're talking about any and all things that impact the farm worker population. And from there, those conversations will then filter down to local migrant resource council groups, which are locally held meetings with farm worker advocates, community agency and agency partners, and on occasion, some growers, and they come together and they talk about these same similar issues 
And on a local level, they're also talking about specifically what they are finding, what they are encountering. So it's it, the information goes from both up and down and, and to, to the reverse, that the local councils inform the interagency group about what's going on in a local level and what we really need to focus our attention on. And this is just a, a way for me to, to, to demonstrate how that connection with each other to really know what's going on with each local partner agency is critical. Right now, our interagency migrant services group, we are meeting on a weekly basis because what we are experiencing right now is so unique that we need to know what's going on on a weekly basis because what we're talking about this week, Kendra, could be completely different a week from now in terms of service delivery. Um, but in terms of the actual programming that we have, all of the services, all the support that we provide are still being given. It just looks differently. It's from online, mm -hmm. it's from virtual. We're finding different ways to connect with the farm worker population. We are continually, I can't tell you how many meetings I sit, sit in right now talking with different people. And I know it's very similar with my staff as well. So I think that communication, that strength-based um, strength approach that we have in a local level um, is helping us through this very difficult time. Thank you, Don. Um, Sadak, I want to make sure people uh, know how to get into the Ag Help app. Mm -hmm. um, like Don said, a lot of things are virtual right now, and that's mm -hmm. um, a strength of, of having an app like that. Can you walk us through um, navigating it um, briefly? And also, is it in English and Spanish? Yes, yeah, so the site is actually in English and Spanish. So it's, um, it's a website, so you just simply go to um, any web browser, and it's aghelpusa.com. Um, and anybody can access this, the tools and resources. So you don't have to have actually have a profile or um, regardless of documentation status. Um, so you simply go to aghelpusa.com and at the top, there's a menu bar and there's a one tab for workers, which is the job search function. And that's at the very top. And on the right side as well on, on the top, there's a, a tab that's called resources. And that's where they can actually search for um, resources uh, specific to any state. And um, as I'd mentioned, that includes anything from education, faith-based organizations, career services, legal, um, healthcare, other social programs, and or regulatory bodies. So there's a lot of um, information there, a lot of uh, resources. So um, as as Don was kind of saying, is there a lot of these organizations are working together to to um, you know get the the status of, of or really get to have their fingers on the on the pulse of what's going on in in the, the farm worker population, and for us as um, as a kind of a, comp a private company, we have a lot of um, of reach into this migrant uh, and seasonal farm worker population. So um, I think it's it's a good um, partnership as far as us getting that information actually to the workers directly because we are part of uh, several thousand Facebook groups across the nation that are a farm worker specific or in uh, um, other agriculture um, groups. So I, I think there's a, a good way to disseminate this, this information, especially um, as, as far as um, how fluid the situation is, things are changing. And um, so I, I definitely think that uh, um, people can uh, go to our, our Facebook page, um, which we share a lot of information and, and we'll continue to do that and also the website for those specific um, job search and um, agency search tools. Great. Um, 
have you already seen a change since this all started in the amount of traffic that Ag Help has been getting? Yeah, so um, the amount of traffic we're getting is actually going up. Um, so I, I think a lot of people are just, um, un because a lot the unemployment rate is, is kind of skyrocketing, I think a lot of people are turning to um, you know, these websites to, to find jobs and that sort of thing. Um, and we expect that to continue to grow. Um, so it's definitely an opportunity to, uh, for people to, to not only find these jobs, but other resources that, that they may need. I want to ask a question I hadn't um, sent you in advance, but I, I'm curious to know, some H2A employers are of the opinion that there aren't going to, there isn't going to be an increase in demand for jobs um, if the H2A program doesn't come through for them. Um, they're skeptical that undocumented workers would move around or that other farm workers already in the U.S. would move around for jobs. What is your opinion about that? I think that's a, it's, it, that's a very uh, tough question just because <laughs> nationally, the, the, uh, I guess the, the dynamic is, is much different in California than perhaps Michigan or, or Florida. But I think that the first thing I always highlight is um, over, half the population is authorized to work in the U.S. So that's millions of farm workers um, that are out there, you know, looking for this type of work. Um, but in these, especially specifically at right now, since the unemployment rate is so high, um, I think it's there's definitely going to be um, more people looking for these type types of jobs. And um, the, H, the H-2A visa program will help alleviate some of the shortage, but ultimately it will depend on a workforce that is here. Um, and there are a lot more workers here looking for jobs than, than um, there are H-2A visas. So I, I think it, the solution, the, the problem is, is fairly complex, but um, there are workers here. There are workers that um, need those jobs here and, and that, are, that are looking. And it's just a lot difficult um, a, lot of, a lot of the time. So I think there's just a, a disparity in, in how these, how people are finding these jobs and how employers are actually looking for these workers. And I also think too, that there is, um, I think events like what you've been putting on Kendra with their, with AFOP's Facebook live event, I think it's really important to get really good, reliable information out there. And we need to communicate it over and over and over again, because there is so much fear, I think, the political climate um, has been so damaging in these past few years in terms of um, just really fear-mongering to a large extent. And I think that has really affected the migrant stream and some of the patterns, the migratory patterns, how they're shifting and changing. And I think the best thing that we can do is just to counteract some of the, the misinformation and the rhetoric that's out there is really providing good, reliable, information and communicate that over and over again. I agree, Don. Um, and Don, I want to pivot over to you. And I want to ask you about the National Farm Worker Jobs Program. Um, full disclosure, our organization, AFOP, is the umbrella organization for all um, nonprofits and other um, sorry organizations that run the National Farm Worker Jobs Program in their state. Um, so you do that in, in Michigan. For Telemann. Um, so can you tell us about NFJP and how that is a solution to the current unemployment crisis for farm workers? 
I've, it goes back to, uh, you know, what I had mentioned earlier, the importance of communication and something that has, has changed a little bit that in Michigan, we're fortunate. We have two universities, Michigan State University and Western Michigan University that operate and administer college assistant migrant programs. So these are uh, students who come from a family that has a farm worker background who are going on to get their post-secondary degree. And what we're encountering with some of those students, and I think with our participants overall, is it's been a real challenge having a lack of traditional structure going into the classroom, having regular face-to-face -face interactions with Telemont staff, because I met that that's really one of our areas of strength. And I think it's something that's seen us through this difficult period as well right now, which is um, I have fantastic staff that really do a wonderful job staying in communication and making sure that they're addressing the fears and the worries and the concerns of our customers and making sure that they don't feel alone or isolated and making sure that they are aware of different resources that are available to them. But what we are experiencing right now is um, people are just kind of, you know, and this goes with a lot of us, that the longer that we're kind of hold up in our home for right now, you can start to go a little bit stir crazy and you get all your normal routines and disciplines and structures. And it's been a little bit of a challenge recently. So that's, that is a, an issue that we're looking at and that we're working on right now very much. Um, and another piece that goes along with that is, part of the process that we use with our participants will go through some types of soft skills training and something that we are including uh, moving forward is just information about how can you take care of yourself in crisis situations when a high stress situation comes up what are some effective tools to help you through those difficult times so the actual services that we're providing training support services all of that we continue to provide to our customers. It looks a little bit different. We are now able to use e-card if someone is in need of emergency assistance. We're always and we're still seeking out education and training opportunities, but now some of that or most of it is online versus the typical classroom setting. But I really feel like um, we're doing everything in our power to really reinforce and make sure that that structure to the extent that we can is available to our participants and to all of our customers that we interact with. And we appreciate that. We, we thank you for your, for your work and um, for both of you, we're happy that you're here um, for farm workers at this time. Um, are there any challenges that you foresee? Uh, Don, I'll have you go first with NFJP and, and this whole thing. Well, I'm, more than anything else, I'm I'm an optimist, and I'm really driven to to um, to be better than what we were before. I really believe that Telemont Corporation. I believe that all of us who work with the farm worker population, as difficult as this is in the long run, we're going to be better because of this experience. And one thing that I can tell you, we're using technology a lot more effectively than we have in the past. We are aware of, and we're using resources and different types of tools that maybe we were aware of, but now we really were put in a position where we were forced to change and alter our service delivery structure somewhat. So the challenges in the long run are going to make us stronger. I think 
there's going to be that transition again. Um, once the stay at home order does come up and things start to revert back to the new normal, that we want to continue to reach out and let people know about the different opportunities, the different services that we provide through Telemon Corporation. We want to make sure that people know about the good work that's being done through Egg Help and through other community and agency partners and making sure that our growers know that they can come to us if we can assist them with skills upgrades for their workforce or maybe the dependence of some of their workers as well. So it's a matter of helping that transition. I think, um, I don't know if any of us are really gonna know how this is effective all of us until, you know, until after the fact almost. I, it's almost a running joke whenever a, a high stress situation comes up in my personal or professional life, I can be pretty calm all the way through it. And then it's like almost six months later that it almost kind of hits me then that, wow, that was kind of a big deal and I need to think about and maybe um, process what happened there and, and apply it to future learning opportunities. That's a good point, Don. Yeah, we're all kind of right in the middle of it right now. Right. Yeah. Um, Zadok, how about you? Do you foresee any challenges with the Ag Help? Um, I think most definitely. Um, I, for us, I think that the biggest, um, I mean, for, for us, we, we've always been kind of a digital platform and focused on empowering these agencies that are already working with this population um, to give them another avenue to reach this uh, specific workforce in a more direct manner. And I, I think um, for us, it's just continuing to grow um, into the farm worker population um, just to, for reasons just like we're, we're um, experiencing right now is when information needs to get to this workforce, um, you know, quickly and, and directly. Um, so I, I think that for us continuing to, to foster that, um, that relationship with with workers um giving them good information to resources and jobs it's it's a it's going to be a, a bigger task as more and more people turn to you know these digital solutions like don is, is alluding to so for us it's it's um perhaps a business as usual but to a a, a much quicker extent and and um and for us i think it's it's definitely an opportunity to um you know step up to um, to meet the needs um, as a lot of these other agencies are doing. Um, we had one person comment, and I wanted to, I want to just recognize them. Ernie Martinez said, as as a I think a high school equivalency program HEP instructor, he's uh, currently seeing a couple of students being laid off. Um, if Ernie's still on, I'm I'm curious to know whether those students are looking for work in in farm work, um, and I want to turn to some questions now about what's happening on the ground uh, as far as COVID testing. Do you, does either of you know whether testing is actually taking place? I know we've had some people on here who said that they have kits, but it's, I think, different all across the country um, whether or not people are actually able to get tested. Do you know what it's like in Michigan right now? Um, go ahead, Don. I haven't heard that there was testing being done at all. I think if that was going on, I probably would have heard that through the Interagency Migrant Services Committee. And at this point in time, I have not heard that. I appreciate the question though, and that's gonna be something I bring up during our next meeting. Thank you. How about you, Sadok? And you're in Colorado too uh, at the moment, so maybe you can uh, speak to Colorado's situation as well. <laughs> yeah, so um, I have, so I one instance I heard was in California from a large employer 
um, that they had um, the ability to test. But um, I think in general, the the population, or um, I guess the U.S. population, just doesn't have the ability to test like they would like. So I, um, I would assume that's the same for for agriculture. Um, and like I said, there, I've only heard of one instance where an employer would actually um, actually had the ability to do that. But um, I think it's that's definitely something that employers um, need to you know really get a hold of and and be uh, more proactive on that than than reactive just because um, it not only from kind of a humanitarian standpoint to, to ensure their workers are uh, are healthy but um, from a livelihood it, it could have you know detrimental effects to to farms if you know their their population gets sick and even with um, other uh, contingency plans around um, how workers are um, what's happening when there is a case of, of COVID-19 in their workforce. So I think it's for them, it's really an opportunity to, um, to think through and implement these before even perhaps some, some, some guidelines are, are put out there because it, this is ultimately something that's not only going to affect the workers, but um, their livelihood as well. Yeah, the, really now is the time to prepare because once once the cases start cropping up, it's, it's too late um, to put a, a plan in place. Do you, does either one of you know about the cleanliness of the worker transport that people are using? I don't have any direct contact or communication about that. I, I do know that here in Michigan, there's been a lot of communication and, and really there's some real key areas that we're focusing on, those primary areas are areas of concern and transportation is one of them. The cleanliness issue, um, how many people, you know, if someone is bringing a group of workers in, you know, how much space is between each individual worker, that those, those are concerns that we have. Obviously there are concerns about migrant housing, how many people per a housing unit, and if someone tests positive, do they have a place or facility that's going to be made available for that person to isolate them from the other workers? Um, those are some of the real key areas or key concerns that we have. And then even you know, when they are working, what type of social distancing, if any, is gonna be into effect? And I do know that um, employers are taking those issues very seriously. They're trying to adhere to the guidelines, to the best practices, preventative measures for COVID-19. Um, but I do think it's going to be important for us as uh, advocates to make sure that we continue to communicate that out there and, and let each other know what we're finding. Are people really adhering and, and honoring um, those safety measures or do further steps need to be taken? Are there, is there more communication or more resources that are going to be necessary to, uh, to prevent the spread of COVID-19? How about you, Sadak? Yeah, um, I think um, so. There are definitely um, pockets throughout the U.S. where there's an opportunity for improvement as far as even just meeting, you know, specific uh, or the the bare minimum as far as guidelines like things like washing hands, um, providing more hand washing stations, um, and um, with a lot of the um, the transportation, um, this same same situation. Some employers are taking, uh, you know, more precaution. Um, and providing a, you know, more space between workers as um, for transport, but others may not be. So it, it's definitely something that um, still needs to be uh, reinforced and um, 
whether that's uh, you know directly with the employers or kind of getting um, the uh, surveying perhaps workers as to you know what how things are operating on the farm. But it's it's definitely something that needs to be um, at the forefront of employers and workers' minds. You know, one thing that I do want to just add on that too that I think um, through my experience working with growers throughout Michigan and a lot of our staff, I'd say the vast majority of our growers really do care about their workforce and they want to do things the right way. And honestly, one of my primary concerns would be with some of those individual farm labor contractors that can kind of sneak, you know, I don't know if I want to, who can kind of um, sneak in or sneak out or, or they can really create a lot of issues. I'm more concerned almost about some of those farm labor contractors and do they have the understanding about COVID-19? Do they know about the preventative measures? Are they sufficiently motivated to adhere to those to those preventative and safety measures or not? And I think that for me personally is one of the real areas that I'm more concerned about that how are they going to be implementing or are they implementing these safety measures? And, and that group is a little bit more difficult for us to kind of get a handle on it and really do anything about. Yeah, that's a good point, Don. Thanks for mentioning that. The FLCs um, sometimes don't have the best uh, track record in terms of uh, um, accepting responsibility for, for their workers. So um, I would like to mention a question from, from the audience. I think Letty asked one for you, Don. Um, what is Telemon and or the, uh, I think she mentioned, sorry, I lost my page here. Um, mm -hmm. The IMSC working with employers, what are they doing to ensure that employers are using those safety measures with workers? You may have mentioned some of this already, but um, that was a question from the audience. So for example, the Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development, they go out and they conduct housing safety inspections. So they're having these types of conversations with the growers. Um, they are communicating the importance of social distancing. They have talked about, and I don't know if they've come out with specific policy yet or not, but they're really trying to, they're having the conversations that you want them to have in advance. So if someone does test positive, is their housing somewhere available or that can be make, made available for an individual who tests positive? How many people are you gonna have per housing unit? And I. And, and those are really fluid conversations. I can't tell you specifically where we're at at this point in time, but that would be one example of what we're doing. We also have agricultural employment specialists that go out and they have a lot of interaction with their growers. They also um, will um, visit H2A camp and visit with them too, and just to see how things are going there, talk to the workers, talk to the grower, and once again, reinforce and just talk about the importance of safety um, for everyone involved. So I feel that collectively we're doing everything we can in our power to make sure that um, we're out there, we're communicating with individuals and we are making sure that if we hear of any concerns in any particular area, that we're gonna move as quickly as possible to try to address and, and to resolve the situation. And I would like to add that um, our whole network of, of organizations um, with AFOP are doing some of the same things um, with training. And uh, we've also been doing safety training already. Um, and this goes right hand in hand with it, um, with the hand washing thing. We've always stressed that. So um, it, it just hopefully prepared people a little bit more um, since we've been pushing the hand washing thing. Um, 
So we did have a question also from, from Katie about slaughterhouses. Does either one of you have uh, contact with people who have been laid off at slaughterhouses? And if so, um, what are they doing right now after being displaced? I haven't had any contact, so I, I wouldn't be able to, to answer that question. Um, so uh, we haven't directly had um, that specific um, interaction, but I do know that uh, this is definitely something that uh, slaughterhouses, meat processing plants are all kind of facing um, this same um, this same uh, hurdle as far as having to lay people off. Um, some are taking uh, uh, prepared or implementing processes like um, laying people off or staggering work uh, workforce um, start times so so people aren't um, you know to mitigate the the exposure and, and social to maximize social distancing for for workers but a lot of time that's that's really um, impossible but uh, yeah because aren't they on the line all together like doing their tasks doesn't it require them to be close yeah a lot of the times it does um, and, and it depends on which I guess which type of processing plan you're talking about. Some have more automation than others, but um, it's definitely a huge issue. Um, and for those types of employers, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely going to be important to, to um, you know, implement some of these measures around um, preparedness when somebody does get sick. But um, as far as um, when they're getting laid off, depending on you know their documentation status, um, they can qualify for unemployment benefit sometimes. But um, there's always, if there is, um, if they would like to find work, that's something they could do on Ag Help as well. Um, but um, directly, I think it's it's still, like I said, it's early on. So um, I do expect that we'll get a lot of inquiries from people being laid off at those um, larger factories, slaughterhouses, and, and meat processing um, plants. Are those treated differently from other farm workers? Are they not considered essential? I'm just curious. I believe they are uh, considered essential. Um, so, but th th of course, there's a lot, um, lot less they can do as far as um, you know, implementing some of these uh, uh, processes that are rec recommended right now during the, the COVID outbreak. But um, yeah. Thank you, Tarak. Um, I think those are all the questions that came in. Um, oh wait, I did just, I did just see another one from Bellin. Um, is Telemon or Ag Help holding virtual job fairs for Ag Jobs to help recruit workers? Virtual job fairs, I believe, are taking place in Michigan and from the local one-stop centers. So they would really be the area that would be putting on and conducting those job fairs. Um, we would be, we may have a role in some of those job fairs. We may have some degree of participation just to let people know about who we are in our training programs and our services. But I think that would be more um, the one-stop centers and also the um, agricultural employment specialists would also have involvement with that as well. Telemon Corporation, we don't have, we don't conduct job fairs. We are reaching out. We are trying to find people who might be interested in different types of employment and training programs. And then we connect them with resources such as the one-stop centers and other, and Ag Help and other community agency partners. Thank you, Don. Um, I don't believe I'm asked this question that I, I meant to earlier, um, but Sadok, I had uh, we had talked about it yesterday about what options farm workers have if they're laid off. Um, can you take us through that a little bit? 
Yeah. Um, well, there's always, so unfortunately there, I think there isn't, um, there hasn't been really a, um, enough done for, you know, this essential workforce to, you know, have the safety nets and resources if they are laid off. Um, so depending, like I said, on documentation status, they could qualify for things like unemployment. Um, there's other opportunities um, to to find another job that's an, an option. Um, and that's something that we can definitely help with. Um, so right now they can actually just go to our site and search for those jobs. But um, unfortunately, I think they're, when, I mean, in Michigan, I think Don can shed a little bit more light, but um, I, I just don't think there is enough um, being done for, for these, this workforce when they are laid off um, specific to just because uh, their livelihoods a lot of the times are, um, you know, at stake whether they're working or not. And that's a lot of the times why they're, they're still working right now. So uh, I think it's, um, it's, it's a tough question. And I think Don can, might be able to shed some light on, on Michigan specifically. This past week, we had um, we had a conversation and a presentation from someone from the Unemployment Insurance Agency, and it really opened. It made sure that we were aware of the of the best way to connect um, the kinds of benefits that might be available, what kind of support, um, and what that process would look like for farm workers. So that has been really really helpful. And I also think too that. Um, I've been really inspired with how all of us are coming together. For example, Telemont Corporation, along with tel uh, Employment and Training Services, we have a housing counseling line of business where we provide financial literacy and training tr instruction. And then we also administer the Migrant Head Start program. And we had an example recently of a family that they were not working much and they were in need of support and um, they were wanting to connect, but they didn't have internet access and other resources. So collectively that local community came together and made sure that all of the needs, all of the resources that um, were required by that family that they were being taken care of. So I really think we're doing and we're seeing that happening more and more that we're coming together pretty effectively right now to try to address some of those areas of concern. But um, it's, it's been nice. I have um, some contacts with some very good professional people who go above and beyond in the unemployment insurance agency, and they are a really good resource to help us walk through that, what they can provide, what they can expect. And then from there, that lets us know where we need to utilize our resources in other areas. Thanks. We need a little bit of good news, I think, right now to, yeah. Yeah. to focus on. Um, you mentioned that the the phone call that you had um was went into some detail about unemployment insurance for farm workers can you give us any of that detail or is it a little too hard to summarize here it would it would really it'd be somewhat difficult to summarize it was mainly focusing on what kind of benefits like it's been extended from 20 to 26 weeks in michigan there is a boost in unemployment insurance payments and i think that's more on a federal level um, and right now, the Unemployment Insurance Agency, they're in that process of transitioning and, and blending what's going on at a federal level down to a state level. It was also about acknowledging the amount of unemployment claims that are coming in. It's, it's, they've never seen it like this before. It's unheard of. When you look at the recession that we went through back in 2008, that was nothing compared to the numbers of claims that they are receiving right now. So 
Um, they talked about how if you have difficulty getting through and getting your claim taken care of, that they will backdate it and they will you'll receive your benefits from when you should have received it. They do have Spanish speaking staff. Um, and, and really it's just knowing where are the pain points, what are the touch points. We provided some input in terms of their website and things that maybe they would want to incorporate and include um, more Spanish content, maybe some other, uh, in some areas, Haitian Creole would be worthwhile and beneficial. So it was really a good give and take uh, conversation with them. So it gives us, or it gives me a starting point that if I have someone that I'm in contact with that has these kinds of concerns, I know what the next best step is for them. And then from there, we can move forward and try to address their fears and concerns as quickly as possible. That's great, Don. Um, just one last question since we're getting close to the end from Jorge. He's, he's asking about the FFCRA in terms, I think that may be the last law that was passed, Families First, I forget what it all stands for, um, in terms of paid leave and sick leave. Does either one of you have uh, details to share on that? I don't have any details other than what we know already, Kendra, which is, you know, those are benefits that aren't available to farm workers. I don't know if there's any conversation about looking at that differently as, as we go through this, but other than that, I really don't have any other information about it. I know Bruce uh, from Farm Worker Justice last week talked a little bit about the CARES Act and, and the changes that had been um, implemented with some sick leave and some um, unemployment insurance. Um, it is hard to keep track of all these different laws. So um, I did summarize some of that information in a PowerPoint. Um, I'm gonna put that up on the screen. It's gonna be on this website. It's on the eight, tab eight. So if you just navigate to afop.org slash CIF, you'll find the PowerPoint there and you'll see some of the information that Bruce shared um, is summarized in that PowerPoint. Um, yeah, I think those are all the questions. Um, maybe we can end on a, on a happy note and maybe share one thing that each of you is, that, that is inspiring or giving each of you hope right now. Um, Don, start with you. Okay. Um, I'm inspired by AFOP in the Facebook Live events. I think this has been timely. I think it's been just fantastic. I'm not surprised because I know how good all the staff are at AFOP. I love working with all of you guys. So I was thrilled when you asked me to be a part of this today. But I think getting this type of information out consistently week after week really alleviates and keeps the, the level of fear and concern and the not knowing down to a reasonable level. So I'm inspired by that. I'm always inspired by my staff that they go above and beyond to really make sure that their customers, their participants are being taken care of. Um, and they are, it's just inspirational to see how we all come together. I, I see that in the Head Start line of business in our housing counseling line of business that they are taking steps. They are doing whatever is necessary to meet the needs of the farm worker population. And I think that that's really what I focus on more than anything else right now that there is so much rhetoric. Um, social media is a dangerous place to go into right now. So I really try to focus in on those areas where people are talking about, okay, so what's the solution? What can we do? How can we make the best out of a really bad situation? And what can we learn from this experience? And how can we come together and support each other? And 
Um, as tough as this time is, maybe it will shine a light and maybe we'll look at the egg industry a little bit differently as to how we can better support both our growers and our farm workers. So that would be, um, that would be some of the takeaways and some of the things that I find inspiring. Thank you, Don. And we appreciate you as well. And I want to mention here that um, Don does a weekly podcast that you all can see, and we will be sharing also weekly on our Facebook, um, uh, AFOP National Facebook. Um, that's at Telemon, Michigan. You can look that up. Um, and oh, Jorge uh, clarified that FFCRA is the family's first coronavirus act. Um, and so, Sadok, how about you? Anything inspiring you these days? Well, I think. Um... Um, just because we're based in Michigan and I have a lot of uh, um, contact with the resource council there, um, it was very um, reassuring to see um, a couple of weeks ago that um, there was an emergency meeting put together to go over um, you know, the, the possible uh, ramifications and what people could do. So it was it was really the instance where um, the these state organizations and federal organizations um, went kind of running toward the fire, um, where a lot of people right now are sheltering in place and and um, really trying to really kind of in self-preservation mode. Um, you know, all of these people turned the other way and um, you know initiated that that um, that support system, and um, I think that's really that was really inspiring. Um, and I think they're inspired by um, really these workers getting up every day, um, going to work. Um, having pride and doing what they're doing and and really um, they're the backbone of you know a, a lot of downstream jobs and and marginalized to the highest extent so I think it's um, it's it, they're really the ultimate inspiration and and a lot of the a lot of the work that we're doing here at AG help and, and a lot of the the agencies that are, are working to help that population as well I couldn't have said it better thought I I'm feeling so, so grateful right now um, for everyone who is working out there and has to go to work. It doesn't have a choice not to go to work. I, I have the choice to work from home. My job is virtual, but theirs isn't. Um, I think this past Tuesday was World Health Day. Um, and that was a good opportunity for us to give a shout out to all the health workers out there. And um, yeah, it's just our, our really deepest hope and prayer that you know they all stay safe and healthy um, that the farm workers all get the support that they need and we're, we're constantly advocating for um, because we know that this is, this is going to get to them. Um, and when it does, it's not, it's, it's going to affect everyone, not just them, because they are really the backbone of, of our um, society. So thank you to both of you for joining us um, today. I think we'll end a little early, give you a couple more minutes to use in your day. Um, so thank you so much to Don and to Sadok for, for um, sharing your expertise with us. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kendra. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Well, we'll see you all later. See you next week again yeah. at uh, 1230 on CIF campaign for our next episode. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to season two, episode 11 of A Passion to Serve. My intent is to use the podcast as a mechanism for all of us to stay informed and connected as we walk through very challenging circumstances. 
You can use the link provided to leave a voicemail message about topics of interest as well as any other comments about the podcast. You can continue to find A Passion to Serve on the links provided. Until next time.